hardest step in anything for people listening to this is to just is to start like that's the hardest Mm -hmm. step i mean whether it's getting out for that run in the morning when you really don't want to like the the hardest thing to do is to start the second hardest thing is to stay with it that sounds really obvious but i think keeping those two things in mind like you can't stay with it until you start so one just get started and then two when you when you stay with it you have days when, when you want to quit and you're like, is this worth it? Um, whether it's podcasting, whether it's like continuing on with the run, whether it's like being yeah. in a relationship, staying with it is hard. Um, but that's that's the second hardest part. And you got to you got to keep working through that. And I think having having people who can help you with that, whether it's in a mentorship role, whether it's like a training partner, whether it's a partner, find, you know, find those find those people because it's. I think it's a lot easier to to get through things, whatever it is, when you've got support from others. What's up, everyone? I'm your host, Mario Fraioli. We're trying something a little different this week. I'm sharing a special crossover episode of the Grounded Podcast with Danae Doremi, featuring me as her guest. Danae asked me questions no one has ever asked me in an interview before. We talked about my obsession with basketball, the early days of my journalism and coaching careers, diversity and inclusion in the running industry, and a lot more. I really enjoyed this conversation, and I hope that you will, too. You may remember Danae from back on episode 145 of this podcast, which came out earlier this year, right before she launched her show, and I recommend checking that one out or revisiting it if you haven't already. Danae and I got connected late last year through the Tracksmith Fellowship Program. I've been mentoring her over the past eight months or so on her own podcast journey, and she's become like a younger sister to me. I think I've learned more from Danae than she's learned from me, and she's someone I've come to respect and admire so, so much. Danae's podcast fills what was a huge gap in the space. Every week, she explores the intersection between running, culture, land, and community through long-form conversations with runners of all backgrounds and levels. You can find it in all the usual places that you listen to podcasts if you search for The Grounded Podcast with Danae Doremi, and you can also follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at Grounded Pod. She's had some awesome guests thus far, including Mebka Flesky, Jordan Marie Daniel, Rick and Nell Rojas, and my personal favorite, Billy Mills. Danae's voice is important. I am so proud of the work that she's doing and the impact that it's already making in the running space. All right, that's all I've got for the intro. Please enjoy episode 28 of the Grounded Podcast with Danae Doremi and me, Mario Fraioli, as the guest. <laughs> Welcome back to the Grounded Podcast. Shae Dene Dormianishia, Tabahana Schlin, Nakai Dene Bushashin, Totsoni Dashache, Nakai Dene Dashanale. Hello, everyone. For anyone who might be new here, I'm your host, Dene Dormi. I'm a citizen of the Navajo Nation and lifelong runner, bringing you weekly conversations with athletes of all levels and backgrounds, exploring the intersection of running, community, land, and culture. As always, it's important to me to acknowledge that I am based here in Tiwa Ancestral Territory, also known as Albuquerque, New Mexico. Okay, everyone, big news this week. I ran a full mile. Woo! 
<laughs> if you've been following along the past few months, you know that I've been out due to chronic foot pain that has functioned very much like an injury, and I am still in rehab and strengthening mode full time, but I was going pretty stir crazy just constantly being in a gym or cycling or swimming, and as much as I love those things, I just really love running. <laughs> so since I started feeling stronger more recently, uh, finally, I decided to give it a go last week. I started out with a half mile at first, and then later in the week, I tried out a full mile. Neither run left me in any pain, and I actually did feel a lot stronger, particularly in the recovery parts after my run. I did my normal rolling out and strength exercise routine, and it felt so natural. I was dialed in and all of that stuff didn't feel super tiring anymore like it used to. So maybe that's a sign I actually am getting stronger. <laughs> not sure, but either way, this feels like good news. I'm not going to be jumping into long mileage anytime soon, but I am hoping this is the beginning of the comeback process because it felt so good to be running. I have been itching to get out there and one of my runs was on a treadmill, but one was also outside, which made me feel so good. I've also gotten a lot of DMs and messages from several people dealing with injury out there too. And my note to you is to take it slow and hang in there. All of that work you're putting in now is worth it. And running that one mile was rejuvenating enough for me and it's what I needed to keep going and keep my head in the game of rehabbing and strengthening. So yes, just know I'm with you and I am sending all of you lots of healing thoughts. And this feels on theme because who is a better guest this week than the very person who hit the Strava kudos button faster than anyone else did on both of those comeback runs. Of course, we have my amazingly supportive mentor on the show today, Mario Freoli. I am so excited about this episode because it has been a long time coming. Since starting the podcast, I've been asked about my relationship with Mario in many interviews, and I always talk about how we forged a great friendship in just a matter of months. Mario is the host and creator of the very popular Morning Shakeout podcast and newsletter, where you can find him in conversation with some of the top athletes, coaches, and personalities in running. He is a coach, a writer, and a dog dad to the very adorable Tahoe. <laughs> we love sharing dog pics around here. Prior to launching the Morning Shakeout newsletter, he was a senior editor at Competitor Magazine and worked in numerous spaces in both running and media. So he has tons of experience in this field. Mario and I were connected through the Tracksmith Fellowship Program, and he was sort of informally introduced to me by the Tracksmith team as a potential mentor. It was super intimidating at first because as a runner, I was naturally a huge fan of his show already, and I knew he was the kind of person who asked important and difficult questions of his guests, and he was someone I looked up to as an example back when I was dreaming up this show. So Mario and I connected quickly, we vibed over nerdy track and running things, and we set up weekly calls to make sure I had all the information I need to start my own show. To me, my mentor-mentee relationship with Mario very much represented new beginnings. He was the first person to give me a master class, if you will, on podcasting. He was the first person to send me a snail mail style note saying, you've got this, when I was prepping for the show. He was the first person to give me feedback on the show once it launched. 
The list goes on and on. All I know is that he has been here through all the chaos that is starting, producing, and maintaining a podcast, including several personal moments of panic and distress on my end. Meanwhile, Mario is the embodiment of cool, calm, and collected. So I am grateful that he had the ability to coach me through this process and shift all of that calm energy over to me on many occasions. In this conversation, we dive deep into Mario's career in journalism. We learn more about his not-so-secret obsession with basketball, which I love. (laughs) And we get his thoughts on diversity and inclusion within the industry today. We also talk a bit about the importance of mentorship in pursuing your own creative dream, and he has some important advice. Before I get started, I just want to say a huge thank you to Mario and to the Tracksmith team for connecting us because this show probably wouldn't exist without Mario's continued support. So please join me in finally welcoming my podcasting big brother, Mario Fraioli, to The Grounded Show. We just, we really choose these late end of week times. <laughs> this is what I did when I recorded for you. I was like super tired and I had recorded several, I, I remember I did like several things that day too. I don't know. I feel like we always choose like when we're most tired. <laughs> we're like always really loopy when we talk. <laughs> yeah. So for anyone listening to this, it's Friday afternoon. We are at the end of the week. Um, so please forgive us if we sound a little out of it. Yeah. You didn't really get the star treatment for my show, Mario. I was like, here's the link. <laughs> You, you didn't get like the, I think it was, the here's, fancy email. I, I think it was, here's the link. You know what to do. <laughs> and I, was like, I was like, okay, that, that sounds good. But I do know what to do. Um, yeah. And, and not to, not to brag at all. I've, I've kind of like taught you what to do. So I'm like, I better do it right. Otherwise Whoa, I'm going to set yeah. a bad example for my, my mentee here. That is true. That is true. You did teach me what to do. And this is the same platform you use. So yeah, totally. I feel like this is, you know, very nice informal chat. I didn't even say hi. Somehow we rolled into the episode clearly. (laughs) Um, But welcome to the show. I'm so happy to finally have you on. I have a straight hour of questions just about your dog Tahoe. So that's it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, he's been asking for his own podcast episode and I haven't given it to him. So I'm happy to to let the grounded podcast be Tahoe's. you know, shining moment on the internet. I love, I love Tahoe, love Tahoe's uh, photos. I think he's so cute. Um, But he's a good boy. Thank you so much for joining me. Like formally to say that I feel like I would not have the show that I have now without you. And I'm sure as many of my listeners will know, you have served as my mentor for the past, I guess, like six months now. And it has just been such a wonderful journey that has grown into friendship. And just, I can't believe you're on my show now. I feel kind of nervous. I'm like, should should I just (laughs) let you do this? (laughs) Should you just host this? No, I've already asked you plenty of questions for my podcast, so I'm happy to sit in the guest chair for this one. But Danae, it's an honor and a privilege to be on your podcast. And you just said, I mean, it's been six months or so. And I'm like, wow, has it really like only been six months? Because we talk almost on a weekly basis, my, you know, minus, um, you know, when you're away or something kind of comes up. So this just feels very like regular and normal and and comfortable to me, but um, it really is an honor and a privilege to be in the the guest chair and to be on your podcast. 
Yeah, I'm so excited. I feel like it's always fun to chat with another podcaster and get a little bit of an inside view on how things work over in your podcast world and also in your brain. And I have had the privilege of picking your brain on a lot of things that are podcast related. And I'm hoping that some of those things can come out in this conversation. I I feel like we have some crossover listeners for sure, just because I've been on your show Mm -hmm. and I talk about you a lot and your impact and I think it's just been so influential for me. And something that I love is that we come from really, really different um, backgrounds and and places. And I think yet we share so many values. And that's really what has brought us together. And in my mind, I don't know. I don't know what you think about like how our friendship has grown. (laughs) Yeah, no, I I feel the same way. I mean, ditto to, to all of that. I mean, we do come from very different backgrounds and we'll get into that, I'm sure, over the course of this conversation. But I think we have a lot of, of shared values, despite our, our different backgrounds. We have a lot of similar interests as well. I mean, we're both um, we're both track nerds. Mm-hmm. Um, I learned when I had you on my show that you used to keep score um, for the basketball team. I did that while I was in college as well, which I don't know if you knew, um, but I wow, got I to do that, that at Stonehill College. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, we so we were both scorekeepers for the basketball team, that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think I think everything that you you said is completely accurate. Yeah, I think one thing I remember bef- before we get to some of the questions I do have, you know, lined up for you. One thing I remember thinking when the Tracksmith folks and the team over there sort of introduced mm-hmm. me to you is I found myself wondering like, hmm, <laughs> I don't know how I feel about this. It's going to be a really, really interesting match because I, I did like your show, but I was like, Mario is just like, a random white dude. Is he going to know anything about yep. me being native? <laughs> and I am so, uh, it's just been hilarious because I feel like I've just been so pleasantly surprised by our friendship and the fact that I learned so much from you and it's been so reciprocal has actually really been great, I guess. And, and one of, I, I have some questions about maybe things that we've learned throughout the way. So we'll, we'll get to it. But yeah, that's kind of my initial opening thoughts from then to now. <laughs> Well, reciprocal is the right word. I mean, I, I echo everything that you just said because I told the folks at, at Tracksmith, um, shout out to them. They're a longtime supporter of, of my show and my work. But I told Lee Glandorf, I was like, hey, if I can help out with this fellowship in any way with anyone who's potentially working on a podcast or newsletter, I'm happy to do that. And and that was that was it. I heard nothing for the longest time. And then when you won the fellowship or were awarded the fellowship, they introduced me to you. I, I did not know you or anything about you at the time. And I had the, I had kind of some of the same qualms. I'm like, I wonder how this is going to work. I wonder if we'll be able to connect and I hope that I can help her out. And then once we started talking, I mean, I think we just hit it off pretty naturally because we have a lot of, of shared interests. And I've learned so much from you just over the course of the last, I guess, I guess six months. Again, I have no idea like when all of this started, but let's call it six or seven months. I mean, I've mm-hmm. learned so much from you um, because in, in a number of ways. And I think some of that is, you know, yes, I've, I've taught you like some of the ropes of, of podcasting, the mechanics of it, um, giving you some tips for interviewing and, and that sort of thing. And I think it's helpful for me to like revisit some of that because they're very mm-hmm. fundamental things that I think when you're in it, you can easily lose sight of. But also just to learn more about you and your interests and your background and you know your your values. I mean, I I didn't I didn't know what the 
mentorship was going to look like. I really wasn't given, I mean, and this is no offense to Tracksmith or anything, I wasn't given any instructions or, or guidelines. It was mostly to like figure it out on my own. And, and right. this, you know, wonderful relationship is kind of, blossomed out of it. And I've learned just, just so much from you. Um, and just listening to your show now that it's out and, and available. I mean, I've had some of the same folks on my podcast. I mean, Meb Kofleski is a, a great example. He's one of your first guests. And I was like, I could not have had that conversation with Meb. It was like one of your first two podcasts. It was him and Jordan mm-hmm. Marie Daniel who, who launched. And I was like, I was like, dang, I just, you know, I've listened to Meb in a lot of interviews. I've interviewed him more than any other athlete in all the time that I've been doing this right. sort of thing. And I'm like, I learned things about him because Danae has a different background than I do. She comes at this with a different perspective, with different curiosities. And that's been, I mean, that's been really surprising for me, but it's it's been great as well. Well, thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that. Well, I, I have so many questions. So I want to kind of dive in and get started by allowing you to introduce yourself to my listeners, and I know, like I said, some of them are probably going to be familiar with your show, and I'll link our episode together in the show notes here. But if you want to just talk a little bit about what you do, that would be great. Mm-hmm. My name's Mario Fraioli. Some of you may know me from the Morning Shakeout podcast and newsletter, which I've been producing since 2017 and 2015, respectively. The newsletter came before the podcast. Uh, I am also a running coach. I work with a number of elite to professional trail and ultra runners, as well as competitive age group marathoners and and half marathoners. I live in Novato, California with my wife, Christine, and our dog, Tahoe. And I just, I love to run. I love running. I love all mm-hmm. all aspects of, of running the competitive sport from the track to the roads to the trails. But I also have learned to just love the, the act of it um, and the all the beneficial things that it's it's brought to my life and I have running to thank for so many different things in my life you know from you know my my wife and some of my best friends but you know also my my career and just some of my my biggest learnings as a person so that's the general overview of who I am and what I do cool and what is your earliest memory with running i don't think i've ever asked you that in all of our conversations <laughs> I don't think anyone's ever asked me that in any of the conversations that I've that I've had. Um, so I'm excited to answer that. My earliest memory of running goes back to junior high school, and I went to a Catholic school up until eighth grade, and we had this walk for technology, and it mm-hmm. was to raise money to have a computer lab at the school. So basically we walked around the schoolyard and you got pledges for the walk for technology. So someone could pledge, you know, 10 cents per lap. And you said, I think I might, you know, I think I might walk a hundred laps. Um, they were giving out prizes for the most amount of money raised, which really didn't interest me. But the one that did was the person who could walk the most laps in an hour. And I was like, I'm going to win that award. And (laughs) light bulb went off in my brain and I said, well, if I ran for an hour, I could cover more laps than if I walked for an hour. So that's what I'm going to do. And I, I ran as much as I could for that hour and I won that trophy and I still have it at my dad's house. Oh my gosh. Do you remember how much you ran? Like how long that was? So the schoolyard itself um, was, was some odd distance. I, looking back, it was, it was definitely less than 
a track, so less than 400 meters. I honestly have I have no idea how many how many laps I did. But you, yeah, but you I, stayed I, have, running. I have no, I have no idea. I, I'd like to like, I'd like to brag and say like, oh, I did like eight miles or ten miles, but I have no idea. It was probably like three or four. I mean, I remember I, I did walk. I wasn't able to run the entire thing. I did have to to stop and like take some walk breaks. But that was that was my first, or that is my first memory of like actually intentionally going for a run. I love that. So many people on the show note field day or or runs like you just mentioned as their first memories with running and they're they're always like seared into our brains that first moment yeah. we entered a competitive state or something like that that's usually I think the trigger um but I didn't know that about you that's really cool and you ran collegiately right so can you talk a little bit about your recruitment process and how you decided to continue on with running yeah, so I ran collegiately at Stonehill College in Massachusetts, which is a small liberal arts school about 30 minutes outside of Boston, about an hour from where I grew up in central Massachusetts. And I guess technically I was recruited there, their division two. I was an all right high school runner in Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. And I I do remember my high school coach, Jim Ganya, getting a, a very like general letter from... It wasn't Stonehill where I, I ultimately ended up, but I think it was from like Worcester State College, which was the local state college near where I grew up. And it was the same letter that goes out to high school coaches all along the area. It's like, hey, if you have anyone on your team who ran cross country and track and is gonna, you know, is looking to run in college or is coming to Worcester State, like let them know that we have a, a program. And I remember him like just passing that along to me. Um and being like, you know, hey, not sure what you're thinking about for for college, but I got this. I got this letter. Um, you know, he, here you go. And I took it as like a personal letter <laughs> to me. It was not addressed to me at all. And I was like, I could run in college. Like that's where the the light bulb sort of went off for me. I was like, I could I could run in college. And and I was like, that's what I'm gonna do. I'm like, I'm gonna I'm gonna run in college. And I was kind of teetering on the edge. I still played basketball at the time. Like I really wanted to play basketball in college, but my prospects weren't looking very good. Um, maybe I could have walked on at a division three school somewhere, but I was like, I could, I could run in college and I'd shown a little bit of talent for it. And I, I took that as a sign that I was good enough to run in college. So over the next year, year and a half, I started looking into some other schools. Um, some coaches did start to show a little bit of interest. I only went on, one real recruiting trip and it was actually to a school near where you went to college and that school is Quinnipiac and they brought me in on a recruiting trip with I I think probably 10 other recruits and we spent the weekend there and I think they were just about to go division one at the time I was like oh it'd be really cool to run for a division one school but they weren't offering mm-hmm. me any scholarship money or or anything like that and neither did Stonehill to be to be fair um, but ultimately I ended up choosing Stonehill because I liked that it was only an hour away from home so that felt far enough away that I could have mm-hmm. some independence but close enough that I could easily get back and and see my family and and honestly they weren't that good uh, and I knew that I could I knew that I could run there and that I could make an impact right away and Part of me also thought that I could help to establish the program and bring some better runners there. And by the time that I left, we, you know, we could be competitive. And um, 
looking back, I mean, that's what happened. Um, that's that's ultimately what ended up ended up happening. Um, so that's how I, I ended up at Stonehill. It really wasn't, I mean, they recruited me a little bit. The coach got in touch. Um, but when I went there, it wasn't like I got any, any money for running, um, at least initially, Mm -hmm. but I was able to join the team right away. And I was able to run on the varsity as a freshman. And that was really important to me at that point in my life. Okay, two things. First off, I did not know you played high school basketball, <laughs> which is really cool. I don't want to brag, but I'm actually I'm actually pretty good. Oh my um, gosh! <laughs> I was, basketball is my basketball is my first love. I'll send you. A, I'll text you a video of a of a recent ex- escapade um, when we get off this this recording. But I loved basketball. I mean, that was my first love. And I mean, when I say, I mean, people know me now as a running dork, and I definitely am, and I'm obsessed about the sport. I was. I was all of that and then some for basketball until I found running, which is a story unto itself. But I mean, I, I slept with a basketball in my bed. I brought one to school with me. I had one in my locker at all times. My dad dropped me off at the gym on his way to work in the morning. And I made friends with um, Mrs. C, who was the the older physical education teacher at our school and let me in the gym in the morning to just wow. work on my game before before school started. And I played all the way up until my junior year of high school when I switched to running full time, but I had pistol Pete Maravich basketball videos, oh huge Celtics fan. I went to Holy cross basketball games yeah. near my house all the time. I mean, I was, yeah, big, big into basketball. Um, not as much anymore, but I still, I still have a ball. I still mess around with it from time to time. Um, I can't really, I can't really play in any kind of games cause my, my body just kind of rejects it at this <laughs> point cause I've been doing so much running. Um, but I, I do have this like, you know, I do have this like secret ambition, I guess not so secret anymore. So I'm talking about it of, of playing in like an old man basketball league sometime in the next like five or 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. Harsh lateral movements sound great for, <laughs> Oh it, yeah. It's, it's brutal on the, body especially when you've just been moving in in one plane for the last like 23 years i guess at this point for me that's how i feel about basketball too but the the second thing i was going to point out about the story you told was that you sounded like you went into college with such a coach mentality it's just, it was like an observation the way you talked about entering the program and wanting to rebuild it i feel like you already had that kind of old soul coach mentor um vibe to you? Do you feel like that was a point in your life where you knew you would potentially want to go into coaching? I don't think that I knew at that time that I wanted to go into coaching, but I definitely had that mentality. So to rewind a little bit, I only ran my last two years of high school because I was focused on basketball before that. And when I got into mm-hmm. running, my high school, we had a cross-country and track team, but they weren't very good. I mean, in fact, the cross-country team, we didn't even have enough guys to score in most meets. Uh, that's how, um, that's how like, not much of a program we had. So our coach, um, Jim Ganya, who is still a friend of mine to this day, he was the custodian at the school, who was a recreational runner and coached the cross-country team as sort of a a side gig at the time. I mean, we didn't do workouts or anything. We just, we raced twice a week. We didn't run in between those races and all of our other runs were between two and maybe four miles. And I remember when I, I got into cross country and I showed some talent in the races that I was like, there's gotta be, there's gotta be more to this than just like showing up at these races and going as hard as you can for, you know, 
two and a half to three and a half miles. Um, Like, how do you, how do you train for these things? Like in basketball, we do, you know, we do layup drills, we do dribbling drills, you know, we do defense drill, like all this sort of stuff. I mean, there's, I'm like, there's gotta be more to it. And I, I went to our school library and this was very, this was late nineties. So the internet was not what it is today. I mean, we had internet (laughs) access and there was information on the internet, but not nearly as much as you can find now. So I, I still have like printouts of things from high school, like training programs of, Mm-hmm. It was like Hisham El Garouge, Bernard Lagat, Daniel Komen, um, Nordine Morsali, like all of these guys. Like I was, wow. I was reading as much as I could about training on the internet. But I would take books out of the library. I had the Sports Illustrated guide to track and field. I read coaching books that had nothing to do with running. I read all of John Wooden's books, like Pyramid of Success, all of that sort of stuff. <laughs> Those um, too. Oh my gosh. <laughs> my dad had all the John Wooden books. I've totally read those yeah. too. <laughs> but the but the library, I just pulled out whatever I, I could find on on track and field and training for, for track and field. And mm-hmm. I, I read these books. I actually still have a couple of them uh, because I never gave them back. Uh, and they're in my library oh now. My I don't want to know what I don't want to know what the 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 overdue fee is on on those at this point. Um 22, 23 years later. Um, but regardless, I like, I, I studied the training because I was like, there's gotta be, there's gotta be more to it than just going for short runs and, and racing. Um, so, so that, that was in motion certainly at, at the time. And as I just described, I'd read like these John Wooden books. He was, he was my first coaching hero. I was like, I, I'm like, I really admire this guy and yeah. what he stands for and like the program that he's built at, at UCLA. Mm-hmm. So, so those seeds were definitely getting, getting planted. Um, so going into my senior year of high school, I actually trained and I had one mentor. His name is Bill Gadare. He was a coach of a local running club, the Central Mass Striders. They had weekly workouts in the summertime. He took me under his wing. That's where I first learned how to do a track workout. Um, he introduced me to trail running. Actually, we went running at the Wachusett Reservoir near where I grew up. Um, so I learned a lot from him in combination with what I taught myself from printing stuff out on the internet and reading library books. And I developed my own training program. Um, I I went to his workouts in the summertime. I ran, finally ran longer than like eight miles in high school. I was doing track workouts on my own during the track season, and I got a lot better. And mm-hmm. I was largely i was largely self-coached through my entire high school career and then i took that mentality with me into college which got me into trouble at some points um because it was you know it wasn't a great program but there was a coach who'd been there for a long time um there was a a woman karen bowen who coached the track team she'd been there for a long time she's still there today um and they they weren't going to take my my crap. They they took my suggestions, <laughs> but they weren't going to take my crap. Um, but I, you know, I, and I bought in. I mean, to if I if I could give myself any credit, I mean, I eventually learned to to buy in and trust them and let them coach me and show me how to become a better runner. But I definitely had that mentality, and I think it came from reading those those like John Wooden books. And I was a big fan <laughs> of the Chicago Bulls at the time, even though the Celtics were were like my hometown team. I loved what Phil Jackson had built with the Chicago Bulls. And I was like, I'm like, I I'm like, I want to do that. And I, I and I started coaching, I coached a little basketball in high school. Like I coached one of the local like CYO teams, um, like the younger kids. So I, I 
yeah, I guess I did. Like I brought that with me like into, you know, into college and I stepped into this program that honestly wasn't very good at the time. And I was like, well, we got nowhere to go but up and it would be cool to like be a leader. This is an opportunity for me to to be a leader and that's a torch that mm-hmm. I I grabbed right from my my freshman year and carried through the rest of my my time at Stonehill. Wow. Yeah, and you know, it's funny like Phil Jackson has such a holistic like coaching philosophy mm-hmm. I, I feel like I, I've also like read a lot about and and obviously watched and I, I grew up with the Bulls too but um in that kind of era of basketball but I think it's you've totally blindsided me sorry I had no idea what a basketball nerd you are which makes me question everything else I know about you but <laughs> <laughs> well to be fair no one no one's ever asked me about it um so not many people aside from my my closest friends know that I was so into basketball when I was when I was a kid <laughs> Wow. Well, people just want to talk about running, but it was really basketball that led to running. And I, I have talked about that before. I played high school basketball and I ran cross country to, to kind of get in shape, but no one's ever dug into me um, or dug into it like that with me. So kudos to you for, for uncovering that. Well, this is fascinating to me because I think I always felt like my transition from, I did the same thing. I was actually much more into basketball. And I think Mm -hmm. anyone who's listened to episodes with like my dad and also the episode I did with you, was pretty revealing in terms of like, that's what I thought I was going to do in college. So very similar. But I find that crossing over from a a team sport like basketball that is, and running is a, is a team sport in many ways Mm -hmm. too, but is obviously like very individually driven, I think. Um, but crossing over from a sport that really has this, uh, heavy emphasis on fundamentals and structure and building your skills and moving, you know, together. I think there's like a lot of benefits when you transfer that into running. And I noticed you said there was like a little bit of a, a story behind the switch. What, triggered that switch at that time for you in those high school, college years where you realized running was going to be it? (laughs) I mean, I started running to keep in shape for basketball because that's, that was my path forward. I mean, I had got through my sophomore Mm -hmm. year of high school playing basketball. I was going to summer camps. I was playing AAU ball, all that sort of thing. And I had a coach that I met at the Clark University summer basketball camp. His name's Jim White. And he worked with me on a one-on-one basis and I would do whatever he told me to do. And he said, this fall, you need to run cross country. And I asked him why, because that's my favorite question in the entire world. (laughs) And he said, because no one will be able to keep up with you going up and down the court. He's like, your endurance will be so good. And he gave me examples of when he did that in high school, he was a very successful high school coach, I believe in Maine. And he had all of his basketball players who didn't play another fall sport run cross country for conditioning. And I said, sure, I'll Mm -hmm. I'll do whatever, I'll do whatever you say. And so I joined, I joined the cross country team and the only initial goal was to get in good shape for basketball season. That was it. Um, I, I wasn't a fan of the sport really. Um, again, like at, at that point, I didn't know anything about, about training. I had no idea what was involved. I showed up to practice when I was told to, I raced when I was told to. Um, and it wasn't long until a bit of a spark was lit. A competitive spark was lit by cross country racing. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that was the, that was the impetus behind it was just to just to make me a better basketball player. Wow. Well, I love you. I love all of that. And I love that story. That is so cool to hear that you had a similar transition as me and very relatable. And I'm curious to know how this all developed over time 
I know you became a journalist essentially bef- mm-hmm. far before the podcast and the newsletter. Can you talk a little bit more about when you knew that was going to be, was that your academic pursuit or what was your transition no. into journalism? <laughs> um, it, it kind of happened by by accident, I would say. Um, I'll tell you this. When I graduated from Stonehill College, my major was philosophy. My minor was psychology. I jokingly say, half jokingly say that my my major was cross country and my minor was track because <laughs> when I graduated, I just knew that I wanted to do something in running. That was it. And initially, I wanted to see if I could make it as a professional runner. I was a Division II All-American in cross country. Mm-hmm. I had qualified for nationals on the track and the mile. I'd ran a good enough 5,000 to get into nationals, but I focused on the mile. I really thought with a few more years of work that I could make a big breakthrough and make it as a professional runner, mm-hmm. whatever that meant at the time. And, and at the time, really what that meant was seeing if I could get into one of the few post-collegiate training groups that were prominent at the time. It was Hanson's Brooks. Uh, I don't even know if they had Brooks at the time. I think it was just Hanson's. Zap Fitness in North Carolina. There was a small group starting up in Utah, um, out of the University of Utah with the coach there at the time. His name was Brian Appel. There was a team called Team Eugene uh, Puma out of Eugene, Oregon, which I, I ultimately joined for a short period of time. Uh, and there were there were a couple others as well, but I, honestly, I wasn't good enough to get into any of the the bigger ones. I mean, I remember writing the mm-hmm. Hansons and saying, hey, here's who I am. Here's what I've run. And they were very nice, but they basically said, "Talk, come talk to us when you've broken 14 minutes for 5,000 or 29 for 10,000. And I still had about 30 seconds to go in the 5,000 and, you know, a little over a minute to go in the, in the 10,000. But this, this group in Eugene, Oregon, Team Eugene, or, uh, Team Eugene Puma, the coach is Matt Lonergan. His wife is Marla Runyon. They were living out there at the oh, time. Okay. And they had this, they had this group where they didn't have a lot of, of funding, but they had some pretty fast guys. I was like Eugene, Oregon's track town, USA. I'm like, let me see if I can I can make this work. I mean, they weren't they certainly weren't paying me anything at all. Um, and like my time in Eugene is a a story unto itself. Um, but it was the only group that really would would take me or or give me a shot, um, or even just like let me jump into workouts and train. I felt like that's what I I needed to do. So that's what I did immediately after graduating from from college, but I had no other professional ambitions beyond that. But to rewind to college, I majored in philosophy. And part of the reason I majored in philosophy was because I didn't have to take many, if any, tests at all. I just had to write papers. And I much preferred writing to taking multiple choice or even open-ended tests. I'd much rather right. <laughs> write a paper, make an argument, defend it, and that way, I, I mean, I might not be right, but I, I, wasn't, I wasn't always wrong as long as I could back up my, my argument. And I, I just, I like that. So, I mean, I definitely, I enjoyed writing, um, but I never took a formal journalism class or anything like that. I just, I knew that I, I liked writing, but I had no idea. I, I honestly had no idea what I was going to do with a <laughs> philosophy degree. I thought maybe like eventually I'd go to grad school. Um, I thought about guidance counseling for a little while, but I really just wanted to focus on running for at least a few years to see where I could take it. 
Wow. And so wait, what what happened then in terms of ch- deciding you were going to get into more writing? Like where did your podcast, where were the roots of your podcast? And I've heard a little bit about this story, but I know you did so much before that. So can you talk about when you were finally able to do something that you felt passionate about? Yeah. So it was when things fell apart in Eugene, Oregon. I was out there for two months. I could not find a job to sustain myself. The only work I could get while I was out there was through a temp agency. And I was cleaning apartments near the University of Oregon for, I think, like eight bucks an hour at the time. And Mm -hmm. I was not enjoying that. I was also trying to run, you know, like a hundred miles a week and, you know, do this quote unquote professional running thing. I didn't know anyone out there really at all. Um, except for the the few people I met when I joined this this team. I got really homesick and I I went home after two months. I basically had no money left. My dad gave me enough to get a flight home and I flew back and moved into my parents' basement. And I needed to figure out what I was going to do because I needed to start paying my college loans back in a few months. So I opened the newspaper that I read every day growing up, the Worcester Telegram and Gazette. I went to the classified section and I saw a little classified ad for a call taker in the sports department at the Worcester Telegram and Gazette. It was 16 hours a week um, from five to nine, four nights a week. And the job was to answer the phone in the sports department and talk to the mostly high school coaches, but also some college coaches. I was going to say, did you do a lot of box scores? (laughs) Yep, I did all the box scores. (laughs) I put together the agate page. So I would talk to a high school coach. He would give me the basketball box score. I would input it into the computer. I'd ask him a few questions. And along with the box score for all the local games that we didn't have a reporter at, we would just do a you know three sentence roundup of the game based on whatever information I could get from the coach. And I loved it. I loved it. It was the most exciting. It was the most exciting thing that I had going on outside of running at that point of my life. I was like, wow, I can I can talk to these coaches. I get to ask them a couple questions and then I get to make a story out of it. And I did that for a little over a year. I had a former high school and college teammate, Tom O'Connell, who signed an arena league football contract with a team in Kentucky, I believe. And I pitched that story to the sports editor and he said I could do the story didn't promise me that they would run it, but he said I could do the story. And if it was any good, they would, they would publish it. Well, it ended up being a pretty good story and ended up on D one, which was the front of the sports page on a Sunday, which was our biggest issue. Uh, they sent out a photographer to take photos of Tommy and I had this front page story on the sports page. So the sports editor by that point knew that I could write and they would ask me from time to time to go out and cover high school games on the days that I was off. So I, I would go and do some of that. Um, we also had a running column at the, at this newspaper and it ran in the Sunday paper every week and they had a freelancer do it. I think they paid him like 75 bucks a week to do the column. And he went on vacation and the sports editor asked me if I would take mm. over the column while he was gone. I said, sure. And they liked it better than what he was producing. So they gave me the, they gave me the running column. So now I had a, a weekly running column in the Worcester Telegram. Wow. Gazette. Um, 
I should also add that at the time, so this was 16 hours a week. It certainly wasn't enough to pay all the bills. Fortunately, I didn't have to pay rent because I lived at my parents' house. I worked 20 hours a week at the telemarketing department for the same newspaper. That was in the mornings. And it was from um, it was from 9 to 1 every day. And that gave me health insurance and also a bit more income so I mm-hmm. could make it work on top of all the running that I was doing. But I loved the work in the sports department. And I was like, how can I, how can I do more of this? And I didn't know what the answer to that was because at that time, I think things have definitely shifted a lot since then, but unless someone died, quit or got fired, you weren't moving into another position in the sports department. Those guys tend Mm -hmm. to stay there for a long, long time. Well, (laughs) we, we had a football writer whose beat was the New England Patriots and they were at the Super Bowl and he was at the Super Bowl covering the Patriots and an astute reader noticed that his columns looked a lot like Peter King's columns from Sports Illustrated and they did an investigation. Turned out he was plagiarizing Peter King and lost lost his job. Well, some shuffling ensued in the sports department and the guy who covered high schools became the Patriots beat writer. The guy who was a mostly full-time copy editor got to cover high school. So long story short, it opened up a copy editing position, which was 32 hours a week. It still wasn't full-time, but it was almost full-time. And it paid a lot better than answering the phones in the sports department. So I applied for it and five or six other people applied for it. And it came down to a copy editing test and I scored the highest on the copy editing test. And I ended up getting the job as a copy editor at the Worcester Telegram Gazette. So that allowed me to one, get off the phones. I didn't have to answer the high school and college coaches and and put together the box score every night, um, which I was a little sad about, but I was, I was happy to be taking on more responsibility. And I was also happy to be making like more than double what I was getting paid for that. Um, I also got to quit the telemarketing job, which I didn't really like, but I had to do because I I needed to at the time. And I was a, a copy editor for the second biggest newspaper in Massachusetts behind the Boston Globe. And it was an incredible opportunity. I got to keep the writing column. I still covered high school games from time to time, but that was really how mm-hmm. I got into to journalism was through the Worcester Telegram and Gazette. And I learned how to cover games. I learned how to put together the box score. I learned how to interview. I learned how to put the newspaper together. I learned how to edit on the fly. I made I made mistakes, um, but I learned a lot. And those were very, very formative years for me. Uh, and it was still super fun. I mean, the hours were crazy. I would go in usually at about 5 p.m. And we would work till about 1 a.m. to put the paper out the next day. And I did that you know, four, you know, four nights a week, really. Um, And that was, yeah, that was really how I cut my teeth in journalism. Your taking the box score just cracks me up because the number of times I called in my dad's box score growing up, I would be like a kid in middle school (laughs) and I would be chatting with whoever was at the news or at the newspapers because I'd be like, oh yeah, you know, here's the score. Here's who scored. Here's all the field goals. Here's all the like information until I was in high school. So that is so Mm -hmm. funny that that is at the root of your... (laughs) your journalism uh, story. That's just like one more weird connection. 
And hearing that, hearing that from you doesn't, yeah, hearing that from you doesn't surprise me either because the head coaches hated to call in the box scores because it's tedious. It takes, it takes a long time, especially after you've, you know, just been coaching a, a three hour or more game and you're on the bus home. So they'll usually have like their assistant or in your dad's case, the kid like just call in and, <laughs> and give the stats to the newspaper so that it got in there the next day. Yeah. Usually I took the stats. So like it wasn't hard for my dad to be like, Hey, here, call this in. And yeah. they knew I was coach Dormy's daughter. So. So that's so funny. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I love those wow. years. They were super fun. You know, I, I, I do want to spend time talking about your podcast, but I have a question for you mm-hmm. surrounding your experience in a sports writing department like that, because growing up, I didn't get to see a lot of women, but especially women of color in these spaces. And I'm curious to know how you felt coming up in that type of space shaped your idea of diversity and inclusion and how you've seen the space grow and change over time? That's a great question because it was apparent to me at the time that it was mostly white old men who were in the sports department. As I said before, Mm -hmm. a lot of these reporters and even editors, they get these jobs fairly young and they hold on to them for a long time. There wasn't a lot of turnover in the department. But what also stood out to me, and she was one of my biggest early mentors, we had one female, she was white, but female full-time sports reporter at the Worcester Telegram, because I believe she's still there. Jennifer Toland is her name. She actually shares the same birthday as me, even though she's a few years older. And there are a lot of egos in the sports department. Mm -hmm. And because of that, as someone who was young and enthusiastic and really wanted to make a career of this, it was hard to find mentorship in that type of environment because people are very protective of their positions. They're also very steeped in their ways and not really open to new ways of, of doing things. But Jen was like, a mother figure to me at the time. She really took me under her wing. She answered my question. She let me shadow her at games. And I learned a lot from her, but it stood out to me that she was the only female in the department. I think we actually had a couple male writers of of color in different ethnicities. The city, Worcester, is, is fairly diverse. Um, and the, mm-hmm. the schools that we we covered were, were fairly diverse, but it was very male dominated. I mean, that was, that was obvious to me. Uh, and most of the people in power were older white guys. So, I mean, I definitely took note of that. I mean, I was in my early 20s at the time, so I didn't give it a lot of critical thought. And we weren't having a moment like we are now where these things are getting looked at a lot closer and being talked about Um, I mean, social media wasn't a thing at the time either. So that wasn't a factor um, either. But I mean, it it was definitely apparent to me that this was a very homogenous industry in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And how do you feel like you look at it now with your own podcast? Because I think I've seen a lot of growth in terms of how you have chosen to diversify your show, but it wasn't always like that. And I think it's I think it's important to talk about because the, mm-hmm. the the sort of climate and awakening that a lot of people refer to is something that largely happened for white people rather than, you know, people of color, indigenous people. I think a lot of us were like, yeah, this is kind of just how it's been. And we, we've been fighting for recognition or, um, you know, different 
issues for a long time. And so as somebody who has been kind of, you know, a, a fairly well-known mainstream podcaster for a while, how has your mindset around around representation and bringing on diverse voices and people from different backgrounds than you uh, onto the show? Like, how has that changed over time for you as a podcast host? It's something that I've had to think a lot more about recently. And recently, meaning in the last two years, and my show is about four years old at this point. So mm-hmm. it's about halfway, halfway through its existence. Because for me, from the beginning, when I started my show, I wanted it to be the podcast that I wanted to listen to. And the podcast that I wanted to listen to was diverse in the sense of I didn't want it to be just marathoners or just track athletes. I wanted to hear from people who competed in all these different disciplines on the track, on the roads, on the trails from, you know, middle distances all the way up to ultra marathons. I also wanted to talk to some industry folks and then just people who weren't related to the competitive side of it at all, who were doing cool things in running or using running as a vehicle to bring awareness to something. So that was there from the very, very beginning. But it wasn't until about two years in that I started to look at it a bit closer and be like, all right, well, within those buckets that I want to cover, like who who am I hearing from? And I, I noticed I was like, hey, I've got a lot of fast, like white male marathoners. I've got a lot of white male coaches. Um, how can I diversify that a little bit more? And it forces forced me, I should say, I can't speak for anyone else, but it forced me to just look a little bit deeper into these areas and see like who, you know, who are the people that are doing interesting things that I, that I want to talk to and what is my entry point for having a conversation with those, you know, with those folks? Um, because I think there are a lot of shows out there that are are very similar um, as you just described I mean it's a it's a lot of the same voices and they're mostly you know they're mostly white males whether it's athletes or or coaches so I don't know if that if that fully mm-hmm. answers your question but I'm happy to dive a little bit deeper into it because as I look back at the last just like year really I mean that's that's the first time where you know, usually look on a monthly basis. I'm like, all right, who have I had on the show? Like what, what areas of running am I, you know, am I covering? Um, and then also who are the people that I'm hearing from within those, within those different buckets and, and are they all the same? And if they are like, what can I do to change that? Because I don't want to be having the same conversation every time that I'm getting on the mic. Right. It's interesting. You know, you're the first white man on my show, Mario. (laughs) I was thinking about that. (laughs) So yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah, you're, you're the first white man I've had on the show and it's, it, you know, the one thing I can relate to from what you just said is actually the fact that I also wanted to create a show that was reflective of what I wanted in the world. And I talk a lot about creating mm-hmm. a show that native people deserve. And so I can, I can totally relate to that. And, and I think you know, we, we've found that we have a lot of things in common despite coming from really different places. And that, that is part of the reason I think I do have respect for you and wanted to bring you on the show. But I think it's so important, like what you were just mentioning that white podcasters and with, you know, that mainstream exposure and, and, you know, audiences and listeners who may also come from privileged white backgrounds talk a little bit more about their process and intentionally approach representation and, um, you know, speak out and back up 
people of color in, in their struggles. And, and I, and I appreciate your mentorship because I think to me, that's meant a lot. And it's been a lot of background work that, you know, not a lot of people knew about until like now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, and I, and I appreciate that, but I am curious to know if there's anything that you feel like you've um, learned from me or taken from our relationship throughout this experience. I will answer that question. I just want to follow up on on what you just said too. And I think this goes for for anyone who does what we do whether it's it's podcasting or you have to talk to people for a job or a story if you're if you're a journalist. Mm-hmm. The the easy and comfortable thing to do is to talk to the people who are most like you, right? For me that's going to be white competitive male runners because I'm one of those people. Like I that's an easy conversation for me to have. I I know exactly where I relate to them. But to have a conversation with someone who is different from you, whether it's sex, whether it's race, whether it's even just the discipline of 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 running, at least in this context, um, that you want to have a conversation with them. It's hard. Um, and it's very, it's very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that initial step of, of setting up a, a conversation or where that entry point is can be hard to identify sometimes. And I know it certainly has been for me. And I, I think like for the conversations that, that I've had, regardless of, what, of, of who they are, I mean, I just try to, as best I can, focus on, on the person and not What's the message that mm-hmm. they're trying to get out, um, or or who are they representing? But who are they? What are they interested in? Um, what is it that you know that that they're about? And and I found like when I approach it that way, it it's a it's a, it's still not always a comfortable conversation, but it's an easier it's an easier entry point um, than trying to to like find some common ground. But I mean, I think that's, I think that's the challenge yeah, for a lot of a people, <laughs> not even just in podcasting, but you know, just in our, our world in general, we're going to gravitate toward the people who are most familiar to us or most, you know, most like us. Um, and, and I'm not saying that that's right. That's why we need to, in, in a lot of ways, like do the hard thing, you know, and to, and to look elsewhere. And that's really what's going to expand our perspective, but that's also where we're all going to grow. Um, and it doesn't just happen if you do it once, you've got to be intentional about it and you got to do it over and over again. And that's something that I've, I've been trying to do more of in the last one to two years is go at it from, you know, from that standpoint. And I, I think I have grown a lot in that, you know, in that way. And I've been exposed to people that I otherwise, probably wouldn't have had a conversation with and perspectives that I otherwise wouldn't have considered. So um, I think it's really important in that way. Um, but to answer your question, what I've learned from you, I mean, the obvious thing for me was just, you know, who, who is Danae Doremi? Like just as a, you know, just as a, as a person, um, you have a lot of parts to your identity. I mean, Navajo is a huge part of that, but you're also a runner you're a partner, you're a daughter. Um, I still think you're going to be a great coach someday. Uh, I know I gave you a hard time for that during our, our conversation. So I'd like to see Danae Dora <laughs> make coach. Um, but I've, you know, I've also just, just learned that the way that you grew up with running is very different from the way that 
I grew up with it. And that goes from, you know, just your dad being a runner and a coach and having it be introduced to you so early on in your life. Cause I didn't have that. I mean, it came to me like later on in my, my high school career. So my relationship's different with it in that way, but also just the place that it holds in your culture. Right. Um, you've talked about on many episodes of your show and in our conversation, your, your mom is Navajo and just, and she's a, a very, big runner herself, but just like what role it's played in her life and how, you know, how that's different. It's different than, than in other, other cultures. So it's like, I've, you know, I've learned, I've learned that from you. Um, I think I've also just learned listening to your conversations on, on the podcast because your background is so different than mine. The, like the questions that you ask about, you know, how, how a runner connects to the land is very, I mean, I wouldn't ask that question. Um, you know, it's not something I ever really thought about growing up, just coming at it from the standpoint of, of a woman is, is something I'll never experience as well, you know, as a, you know, as a, as a white man, never mind a, a woman of color, you know, and just you're experiencing things, have experienced things throughout your life that I will, I will never experience or understand. Um, but hearing you like, you know, frame some of your conversation with someone like Jordan Marie Daniel, like the, the two of you share a very similar background. I mean, that I couldn't have that conversation with her, Mm -hmm. you know? So it's like, I've, I've learned, I've learned stuff through that. Um, just through, you know, you sharing more about, yourself, um, the role that kind of running's played in your life, also just the challenges that that come with with who you are um, and how that factors into running or your ability to have a podcast, you know, like you have and what you, you know, what you want to do with it, that sort of thing. Well, thank you. I, I didn't mean to put you on the spot, but I love reflecting, I think, a lot on our relationship because it shows that there is a lot of reward, I think, when you when you can connect with someone that challenges you and has uh, a different upbringing. And of course, like I said, we have a lot of overlapping values, so probably didn't have to work that hard to line up in terms of how we see the world. But um, but I think, you know, it does take work. And we were both clearly a little bit uncomfortable when we got paired with each other, like, what happens now? <laughs> and I, I just, I really appreciate you taking time to reflect on that in this space because it it helps me understand sort of what you're, getting from this and that I'm not just like extracting all of this information from you on how to podcast and what to do and, you know, having like total mental breakdowns over something related to like my audio or my calendar (laughs) or stressing or whatever. And I feel like I'm just constantly like throwing my problems at you. (laughs) I'm like, I really hope Mario got something out of this. (laughs) So yeah. (laughs) No, I mean, I mean, so, you know, I mean, I've, I've never felt that way from the time we got introduced. And maybe, I I don't know why that is. I mean, I can think about it here. I mean, maybe it's, I mean, my, you know, my main goal is to just help people out. And however I can, I can do that. I want to, like I say to you all the time, like you have any questions, you know, let me know. Um, That sort of thing. Like maybe some people that would drive them crazy. Like for me, like that's, yeah, that's never like driven me crazy. I'm like, if I can help you out, you know, whether it's the mechanics of podcasting Mm or, you know, things to pay attention to during an interview. I mean, if it helps make you better, you know, and it helps you to to elevate your voice, if it helps you to tell better stories, if it helps you to make stronger connections with people, if it helps more people to become aware of, of what it is that you're doing, um, then 
I, I've gotten everything and more than I than I need out of it. But it's not about me either. It's about how can I help, you know, how can I help you? So yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's just me thinking out loud about it. I, I apologize for any of my sloppiness <laughs> here uh, because I'm I'm literally just spewing out spewing out thoughts because I've I've given, you know, I'm I'm giving it thought like as as we talk. Well, I I love that you framed it like that because I was reading uh, up on you a little bit before we did this interview, and I noticed that on your website you have like a little about me of like what mm-hmm. kind of what you do and who you are about being a coach, a writer, a podcast host. But the one thing that stuck out to me is that you noted you're somebody who helps others see what's possible for themselves through the lens of running, and I could mm-hmm. not think of a more perfect description for what you do because it's not just it's not just about making people a better runner, right? Or, or making right. them, a, you know, it's like to help you see what's possible for yourself. And I think that there isn't anything better that would describe what you've done for me, because I think as somebody who went into this really, really nervous to, to host a podcast, I didn't know if I could like carry these conversations mm-hmm. by myself. And I had a lot of self-doubt. And I think, um, you know, I knew I loved it and I knew I had the knowledge around it. But even so, I, I just wasn't sure if I could match up to some of the other shows I was listening to. And I didn't want to let down my own community. And I think you, the one thing you're really good at was allowing me the space to sort of vent and be myself and be be my whole self, right? Like not just constantly teaching others about my culture or where I come from, but also like just getting to be a regular like 28-year-old podcast host who's nervous about hosting conversations. <laughs> and I think you were like, yeah, you, you know, you can totally do this. And it helped me see my future in that space. So I really appreciate that because not many people have made me feel like that. And, and I think that takes kind of a special skill, like you mentioned, you know, of wanting to learn more and wanting to, that's such a coach's mentality. Like, I feel like you literally coached me through podcasting <laughs> and I, I appreciate that because I definitely had some breakdowns along the way. And I always think about some of the conversations we have of just like, you've got to learn to kind of get back up and keep going and, and, it's sort of like things happen. And I was kind of an anxious control freak at the beginning. And now I feel like a lot of those things have withered away. (laughs) Well, well, thank you. I mean, that's, that's the highest compliment that I, I could ever ask for. And I'm not, I'm not asking for one, but that really means a lot to me coming from you. But I mean, that's really what I, I try to do in everything that I do is help people see what's possible through the lens of running. Because for me personally, running has given me so much. As I described earlier, I, running is how I met my wife. Um, I didn't know that it would be possible for for anyone to marry me. I'm a, I'm a pretty difficult person sometimes. Um, that's, a, <laughs> that's another that's another conversation for a different day. But I mean, running is something I started as a as a way to keep in shape for basketball, and then competitiveness took over. And I've been involved in competitive running since the since the very beginning. And sometimes I've become too narrowly focused on that. But what I've learned in the two plus decades that I have, have been a runner is that I have running to thank for so much in my life, from my wife to most of my best friends. Um, but it's helped me to develop the skills that I need to get through many other areas of, of life. And I don't know exactly when I, I landed on that. I mean, I screwed a lot of things up before I, you know, before I realized that. But everything every skill that I use to kind of get through the day, just about every skill that I can think of, I 
I learned through running or it has been reinforced to me through running. So in all of my work, whether it's coaching, whether it's writing my my newsletter or other correspondence, whether it's my my podcast, I mean, that's the lens that I'm looking at everything through. And I think if more if more people can look through that lens, they can discover what's possible for themselves as a as a runner. I mean, I had one of my athletes the other day look at a workout that I gave her and said, I don't know that, I don't know if I can do that. And I said, well, just try. And she did. And she nailed it. And mm-hmm. and now she comes out of that like wide-eyed and it's like, well, what else can I do that I didn't think that I could do? Right. And and I mean that's that's what it's about. It doesn't I, I mean, regardless of like, you know, our 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 background, our upbringing, our entry point, you know, into the sport, like that's what it's about is, is to is to see like what's possible for yourself. Um and we all do that as, you know, as as athletes. Um, but I mean those same things translate over into, you know, the rest of our life and and speaking about our relationship, I mean, that was if I had any goals when we got started, it was exactly that to let you see what's possible for yourself in in running as a as a podcaster, the the people that you can reach, the impact that you can have, the stories that you can you can share. Um, you know, I, I could sense like, and and this goes for anyone who's getting into something for the first time. There's nerves are there, the nerves are there. There's doubts that are you know that are going to be there. Um, but I mean, you grew up as a as a runner, I mean, you've, you've learned all of these, these lessons. I know that you know them. And like, maybe this is me putting my coach hat on, but it's like showing you, it's like, Hey, you have the, you have the tools to kind of the work through in this. The like you, you've done it. <laughs> yeah. The hay, the hay's in the barn, like, and, and just showing you like, or allowing you to, to see for yourself, like, Hey, like all of these things are, are possible. It doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean there aren't going to be doubts along the way, but I mean, you've, you've come so far in a, in such a short, period of time. And I mean, it's just been amazing to watch it all unfold and to see you grow and develop and gain confidence as as a podcaster and to realize like your work is important, your voice is important, your impact is is very real. And, you know, it's I mean, for me, that's what gets me out of bed in the morning. That's what I try to do in in all of my work. It doesn't mean I'm always successful at it, but I mean, whatever it is that I'm doing, I, I want it you know, I want it to be a, a lens that people can can look through and see what's, you know, see what's possible for themselves. Well, that was like a perfect answer to the the last question I was going to ask you. So I, I, I wanted you to give some words of wisdom to people who are looking to start something new and you completely nailed it all by yourself because you're also an awesome uh, podcaster and speaker and coach. And I think that perfectly sums up our time working together. And I feel like that just belief you had in me. Yeah. Sometimes you just need somebody to tell you like, of course you're going to do it, you know, and, and have that kind of, we all do. that kind yeah. of, um, assuredness. And I, I really, really needed that. And that it, I think the reason I, I wanted to talk about this so much here is this show really wouldn't be here if, if you hadn't given me that on, uh, you know, in sort of on the back end of things while I was trying to figure out my logistics and, um, you know, my own balance and schedule. So mm-hmm. yeah, just can't thank you enough, Mario. I, I feel like it's, something that's going to stick with me for the rest of my life. And for sure, this is something I love so much. And you've definitely helped me see, you know, my, my own potential. So I, I appreciate your being so open today. And I want to get to our final four questions and respect your time since we are here on a Friday afternoon. (laughs) Um, But, but yeah, thanks so much for all of, all of those like beautiful words. (laughs) Well, you're, you're very welcome. I mean, I, I don't, 
I don't think anything's that much of a coincidence, really. I think our, our paths were probably meant to cross at some point. I mean, and I, I mean it. I mean, I've learned just as much or more from you as you have said that you've learned from me. And I think that's what it's all about. I mean, I think at the at the end of the day, um, we're all here to help each other out. And sometimes we don't even know that we're we're doing that. But I feel really grateful for our relationship and to have you in my life and that I can be a small part of of your journey. And the the last thing I'll add to what you had just said before, I mean the, the hardest step in anything for people listening to this is to just is to start. Like that's the hardest step. Mm -hmm. I mean, whether it's, you know, whether it's getting out for that run in the morning when you really don't want to, like the the hardest thing to do is to start. The second hardest thing is to stay with it. Um, And I think that sounds really obvious, but I think keeping those two things in mind, like you can't stay with it until you start. So one, just get started. And then two, when you, when you stay with it and we've had this conversation before, and I mean, it's, I've certainly been there myself. Like you have days when, when you want to quit and you're like, is this worth it? Um, whether it's podcasting, whether it's like continuing on with the run, whether it's like being in a relationship, um, staying with it is hard. Um, but that's, that's the second hardest part. And you gotta, you gotta keep working through that. And I think having, having people who can help you with that, um, whether it's in a mentorship role, whether it's like a training partner, whether it's a partner, um, you know, find, you know, find those, find those people. Cause it's, I think it's a lot easier to, to get through things, whatever it is when you've got support from others. So true. Yeah. Find your people. I feel like that's, that's perfect. I love that. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, we're going to jump into our final four questions, Mario. I hope you've been thinking of these answers. (laughs) I did my homework. All right. (laughs) Question one is, what are you currently watching and listening to? You have to answer both. (laughs) So Christine and I just started watching The White Lotus and we're only two episodes in. It's a new show that just launched like two weeks ago within Mm. the last two weeks, but we were looking for some mindless TV to watch at the end of the day. And that is our latest indulgence. And then what about listening? (laughs) What am I listening to? Oh man. Um, Well, I am turning more into my parents every day. So um, I'm listening. Yeah, it, it's, inev- it's inevitable. Um, those of you who are listening to this that are a lot younger and saying, no way, you just, just wait like 10, 20 years. Um, <laughs> but most of the music I, I listen to now is from before, from before when I was born, um, which was the early 1980s. So I'm listening to a lot of like Bob Seger and Neil Young and Creedence Clearwater Revival. And I had a joke uh, Joe Cocker song on the other day. Um, I mean, just a lot of like old seventies, eighties <laughs> type of type of music, uh, stuff that my parents listened to, like the the Beatles, Cat Stevens. Um, I've been listening to so much Beatles lately. I watched. I don't know if you've caught the Paul McCartney Hulu docu series, but it's very interesting. <laughs> I will have to check that. We don't have Hulu, but I'll have to check that out. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's what I've been listening to. Just a lot of um, like old classic rock type of music. I I can definitely see that for you. <laughs> I listen to a lot of my dad's favorite music too, so I kind of I kind of understand. I'm like a huge Fleetwood Mac fan, and that's totally something that I indulge in. I like all it. the music my dad listened to in the 70s and 80s, pretty much. I love <laughs> um, it. All right, what is your favorite home cooked meal? 
Tonight we are doing Pizza Friday, and it's my favorite day of the week. Ooh, um, we we make our own pizza at home. It's it's not that fancy, but we just roll out some dough, put some sauce on it, chop up a couple veggies, and then sprinkle it with some cheese. And I look forward to it every week. Can't argue with a good like old fashioned Pizza Friday. <laughs> All right, question yeah. three is: What is one thing about you that surprises other people? Maybe the basketball thing, yeah. I guess. Um, <laughs> not, I guess not. Not too many people. Uh, not too many people know the depths of that. I guess. Um, but the other, the other bit of it would be that I am red green colorblind. Oh, whoa! I didn't know that. Yeah. So I, I'm not completely colorblind, but shades of of red and green. Let's just say they tend to confuse me. So I will. I will never be a pilot, a mailman. Uh, they gave me this whole list of things that I would. I would never be because I. Oh wow! Because I can't tell the difference between shades of red and green. All right, and our last question for today is, of course, what grounds you? This is the one that I've been given the most thought to. Um, but what grounds me is the knowledge that life is short. And I don't say that to be morbid, but I've experienced quite a bit of loss in my life. I've experienced some early loss in my life. My mom passed mm-hmm. away suddenly at the age of 50, and that was probably the the most tragic and devastating thing that has ever happened to me or my family. But it was also one of the most pivotal moments of my life. It was a very real reminder that we... It's a very real reminder that tomorrow is not guaranteed. So to appreciate this day, this moment, these people that are in your life. And I mean, I think about that. I think about that every day is almost automatic at this point. And it's not like a, you know, super analytical thing I think about every day, but it's just a reminder to me to prioritize the people and the pursuits that mean the most to me, um, not to put mm-hmm. those things off at all or to, or to brush those people aside. And and I'm really grateful for that because I definitely was not doing that at the time that my mom did pass away. And and because of that, um, as much as I'd give almost anything to to have her back, it strengthened a lot of my other relationships, certainly with my dad, my siblings, um, mm-hmm. my closest friends who, who I am very, very close to and very intentional about checking in with very often. Um, but that keeps me that keeps me grounded. Um, whenever I'm getting too stressed out, or I start getting a little too ahead of my skis on on something, and I need to be brought back to to center, or you know, I've I'm dealing, I'm upset about something that happened. Um, I just I think about that. I think about the fact that that life is you know life is very short. Um, and as my dad likes to remind me, he's like, there are very few things that can't wait until tomorrow. So it's focus on today and what it is that you need to do today and what's important to you in in this moment and not to lose sight of that. So that's what keeps me grounded. Oh, and I love that the quote from your dad is something you've actually said to me. So I that's kept me very sane and grounded throughout this process. Yeah, I I absolutely love that answer. So thank you so much, Mario. You I could listen to you talk for a long time. I could also talk to you for a long time. <laughs> and I really appreciate you taking the time on this late Friday afternoon <laughs> to record with me and for everything that you've done for me these past six months. And I look forward to continuing to work together. 
Well, you're you're very welcome. Thank you for the opportunity to come on your show. It really is an honor and a privilege. And I really, really appreciate you. I value our relationship. And I too look forward to many more years of it to come. I am so happy I was able to share this conversation with you all. I cannot thank Mario enough for his time in mentoring me over the past several months, in giving me a lot of guidance to create and bring this show to you on a weekly basis. If you enjoyed this episode, I would really appreciate it if you could leave me a rating and a written review on Apple Podcasts. The show is so new still, and these reviews really help. Plus, I read all of them. You can also share this episode on social media. Please be sure to tag at GroundedPod on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. I would love to hear what you are currently doing to stay grounded. This show was funded through the Tracksmith Fellowship Program, and the music is by Jacob Shahey from Santa Clara Pueblo. That's all for today. Make sure to get outside, take a deep breath, and do something that grounds you.